This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. At the top of this hour, though, look at the future of NATO, which has really changed considerably over the last year, even just over the uh, last several months. Since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, NATO has become stronger, more unified, and bigger. NATO has grown or is on the verge of growing with Finland and Sweden now poised to join the alliance. Now, Canada has been criticized for not meeting its NATO commitments in terms of this overall commitment by NATO members to have defense spending at 2% of GDP. On the other hand, though, Canada has certainly supported specific NATO missions. I think Canada has remained a strong supporter of the NATO alliance. I think we recognize that it's uh, definitely in our interest. What about the idea of Canada leading NATO? Is it time for a Canadian to lead the alliance? Well, our next guest says yes. Outlined in an op-ed in the Globe and Mail, uh, Tim Dunn is a fellow with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, former chief of media relations with NATO's Southern European headquarters, also later served as military relations advisor for the Nova Scotia government, chair of the Security Affairs Committee, the Royal United Services Institute in Nova Scotia, joins us on the line here this morning. Mr. Dunn, good to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me on board. I'm glad to be able to talk about this issue. Yeah, well, you know, I think, you know, the importance of the alliance is is obvious. But in terms of its leadership, in terms of who leads NATO, why, why is that important in your view? It's important because I think it shows solidarity and an ex- a common acceptance of all member nations uh, on an equal footing. Um, the United States certainly has the largest proportion of people, the largest uh, share of responsibility, and the largest defense budget. But also, its defense budget, about 3.45% of its GDP, is uh, spent not just in NATO, but it's spent in a lot of other places around the world because they have far greater strategic interests than Canada, Belgium, the Netherlands, any other country. Uh, you know, they, they are in, um, in, in Japan, they are in, uh, South Korea, you know, so the, and in Germany as well. So not all of the money that goes into the American defense budget is destined for NATO. So how could Canada, if, I mean, what we can talk about the obstacles maybe to getting a Canadian at the leadership, uh, position in NATO, but how would having a Canadian in that position or high level positions, how does that help? Ah, so how does Canada benefit? Well, first of all, it would show that Canada is accepted as a uh, as a, 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 a principal NATO member, an important member. We were there at the founding. We helped create the alliance. Uh, there was, you know, there were secret negotiations between with the British, the Americans, uh, and the Canadians, the Benelux countries at the beginning. Canada was very much part of that, and we funded a lot of NATO at the beginning. Uh, we we also had, uh, began to have other interests in other parts of the world. So the contribution we we made to NATO had to be reduced because we we never did have a big population, but that didn't stop us from pulling our weight in uh, when it was necessary. Um, you know, so if you look at, uh, at Canada's commitment to NATO, we have been involved with every operation that NATO has has undertaken. Uh, we have we led the operation in um, uh, in Libya. 
Uh, we uh, uh, we had a, um, a Kandahar province uh, in Afghanistan, and while on the subject of Afghanistan, Canada's loss of, of a number of fatalities in Afghanistan was the third largest uh, behind the United States, Britain, but ahead of France and and, uh, and Germany. What about defense spending? Because we're we're not at that two percent target. We're really nowhere near that two percent target. And you know the argument's been made that you know that kind of makes us freeloaders. Is is that a fair uh, criticism? And how does that hurt our chances? Well, yes, it, it's a fair criticism. And I wish that we 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 upped our defense spending uh, to at least the two percent mark because it, we are not in a friendly uh, globe these days. Uh, but also, we're not the only ones that don't meet the the um, uh, the two percent benchmark. Uh, give you an example give you examples. Uh, the countries which led the alliance, Belgium, uh, their uh, spending right now is at 1.18%. Denmark, which led the alliance, is at 1.39%. Germany, which has had a secretary general, 1.44%. Italy, 1.54%. Norway, 1.55%. And the Netherlands, 1.65%. These are countries that, that provide a secretary generals to NATO, and they are below the 2% mark as well. So why should we be treated any differently? In terms of uh, who might lead NATO next, I mean, as you noted in your piece, there's been some rumors around now, uh, I guess, outgoing British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Not not sure how serious that all is. But, I mean, do you have somebody in mind? Well, there are a number of people, and I don't I don't pretend to know all of the, the likely candidates. We have a number of, uh, I think, uh, very good candidates who would qualify as international statesmen and stateswomen. Uh, we have a number of, of uh, high-level diplomats who will qualify as well. Um, I'll give you just one example off the top of my head, and you know, uh, I know not everybody will agree with this, but I'll take Peter McKay, for instance. He was one of Canada's longest-serving defense ministers. He spent a fair bit of his time in, in Brussels. He knows the corridor. Uh, of power in uh, NATO headquarters as well as anybody, as any European. There's another interesting aspect to all this, and you touch on in your piece, you know, the perception of Canada and our relationship with the United States, that putting a Canadian in charge of NATO would almost be akin to putting an American in charge. Where does that come from, and, and why is that unfair to Canada? That was mentioned to me by several admirals and generals uh, that whenever I've spoken about this before they've come back and and said to me no, don't even go down that road because it's not going to happen uh, the secretary general position is a um, is a European position because a lot of the military positions in NATO are taken up uh, designated to the Americans you know for instance uh, the supreme allied commander for Europe uh, is American uh, the uh, the commander of uh, NATO land forces in southern Europe is American uh, so you've got a number of these designated positions uh, but you know, why should Canada be left out in the cold? Be simply because we border uh, the United States. We are not the 51st state. We have our own um, uh, foreign and domestic um, uh, affairs and policies, uh, and we've acquitted ourselves, I think, more than admirably when we've been called upon to do that. You know, we had um, uh, we've had. Um, uh, the, uh, the fatalities uh, in Afghanistan, 158 military, uh, one diplomat, uh, and four civilian co- contractors and volunteers. We also have had um, our own fair share of uh, fatalities in, in both world wars. And, and for those who don't who, who, who don't know this, Canada was one of three nations uh, that led uh, the assaults on the Normandy landing during the D-Day invasion. Uh, there were two uh, American beaches, 
uh, two British beaches and one Canadian beach. Uh, and we had a population of merely 13 million at the time of, uh, that that happened. In terms of, we don't, yeah. we don't, uh, I don't think we need to, uh, to apologize to anybody for our, uh, our contributions to the, to international security. I want to get a thought from you just on, on the state of NATO because, you know, really since the end of the Cold War, there's been conversations around NATO's relevance. I think just in the past few years, there were some, you know, serious concerns about NATO's unity and whether the Americans were still committed. It seems that we're entering a moment where NATO is growing, NATO is more unified than it's been in decades. Your sense on, on where things are at right now? Uh, certainly, is, uh, certainly is the case because there's a threat being presented to Europe right now, and uh, you know, for Finland and Sweden to agree to uh, to become members of NATO, I think, is an indication of just how uh, how useful the alliance is. I worked uh, in the Southern European headquarters for four years, 2000 and 2004, and uh, so I was involved with a fair number of the operations that that NATO had there, and uh, there are more nations involved in uh, in NATO than just as members. We also have the Partnership for Peace, which, and also the the Mediterranean Dialogue nations, and these are nations that um, that are that trained to be able to work uh, side by side with NATO should the, those occasions ever arise. Uh, we've had nations involved in Afghanistan who are more than just who were outside NATO, but were involved in the, in the operations as well. Uh, so NATO is quite very influential. It also provides a standard of interoperability uh, so that nations that participate in operations with other NATO members can talk to each other, can share data, can share information, and can share also share tactics. We'll leave it there for now. Tim Dunn, appreciate the insight. Thanks so much for joining us here this morning. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. All the best. Take care. Uh, Tim Dunn is a fellow with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, uh, as mentioned, uh, formerly with NATO, former chief of media relations with NATO Southern European headquarters in Naples, Italy.